all his friends pretty much are straight and he's living with his friends from home and he's kind of squashed that part of himself to be um, applicable to them and to his image of being straight, gay in a straight world. And so he's, you know, he's not really taking care of his sexual health. Perhaps his boyfriend is cheating on him, but he doesn't really want to believe that either until he's forced by uh, what the sexual health worker refers to as boggy balls. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I'm really excited because this is another LGBTQ plus novel discussion. I um, am so excited to introduce Henry Fry, who I first just love the phallic imagery in the cover that I have for first time for everything. So I'll have to dig into this version. But um, just a little about Henry. He's an award-winning, award-winning writer, designer, and climate and LGBT rights activist living in London. In 2016, he was long listed for the PRH Right Now scheme. And in 2017, won the Literary Consultancy's Free Reads Award for new LGBT plus voices. And in 2019, he was the recipient of the London Writers Award program. Uh, program. There you go. Uh, and first time for everything, which we're here to discuss, is his first novel. So I'm so excited to be joined by you, Henry. I've been so eager to get into your novel, and I always wait until the week before my interviews to really dig into the work that I'm discussing, because if not, it just falls out of my head, which you know, no offense to past interviews. I remember all of their novels in those moments, but then, you know, <laughs> it's stored somewhere else in my memory. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, so I think I have the, Amer is this the American or the UK edition? It's the UK version you've got. And I think okay. that's also the same as the Canadian version. Okay, yes. And I think I got the privilege of having the UK version because of an early copy. So yes. yeah, yeah. inside of the interviewing business. But um, <laughs> I do, because I know your other cover has like a male face. It's like your mm -hmm. character's, you know, your character's face, Danny. Yes. And it's almost surrounded by psychedelic colors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. psychedelic rainbow like pouring from his mind yeah yeah, yeah so like different. yeah so why do you think these covers are so different like did you have a say in that or was this a marketing decision it's it's a whole bunch of reasons so uh, my publisher in the UK is Orion and my publisher in America is Penguin Random House and I worked with both sets of editors uh to come up with a a cover image that we thought summed up the book, but also placed it in the market um, in the way that we thought was going to appeal to the people that we wanted it to appeal to. So in America, it's much more like very clearly, this is a queer book because <laughs> we were sort of following in the um, following after things like, oh my gosh, so many different kinds of books, like Tales of the City. And it was very much like in the queer tradition because we felt like there was a, a big mar bigger market for that. Whereas in the UK, we wanted it to be a queer story that was kind of marketed for everybody. So as you can see on your copy, there is a very phallic cactus right in the middle 
So it's it's hinting at it being a bit of a cheeky queer story, but it's also we want it to be kind of approachable for queer people and non-queer people because the the book cover is like the biggest marketing part of the book. Yeah, I mean, they always say don't judge a book by its cover, but it's something that everyone is encountering right away. Yeah, so. I mean, a lot of work goes into the cover. So yeah. <laughs> I think in some ways you in some ways you should, in some ways you yeah. shouldn't, you know. Yeah, well, and I think if it's so splashy, of course, your eyes aesthetically, you're going to be drawn to, you know, even after first time, like, why is the cactus sprouting up phallically? <laughs> yeah. You know, it has this, it has yeah. this very... um um what do they call like a gay for play type of uh (laughs) porn kind of it's their first time like this whole scripted scenario um yeah there is a not very subtle innuendo in the in the cover for sure yeah yeah so i think right away just for everyone out there first time for everything it's such a unique novel that i've read and listened to i um love the audiobook version too I'm known to I'm known to try to do both. Like I I like to listen on my working when I'm doing other projects. I'll I'll have it on in the back. Um, and I even played it before this interview, like just to get into your character's mm-hmm. psyches again. Um, and I think what I'm so drawn to is why, um, like why start at such an interesting moment in Danny's life, which is a something that could be so mundane, which is a sexual health screening, like something you wouldn't think would be dramatized, Mm -hmm. but it has us get into his interior mind and like questioning what's happening with this health screening, what's happening with maybe having an STI, did his boyfriend cheat on him, right? It's everything coming on at once. So like, where did that idea for you come from? So it was interesting, originally it would, that, scene appeared much later in the novel and it was only through kind of workshopping it with my writers group that I was I was with at the time that it I decided to put it earlier in the novel and the reason for that was so the novel follows Danny Scud who is a 27 year old cis gay man who lives in London um, who also narrates the novel and uh, transforms throughout his wild kind of queer journey. But he starts off being very buttoned up. And this is actually the first time he's ever been to a sexual health clinic um, because he's very much like, he he came out when he was at university, but he's never really inhabited that queer identity fully. Um, so he's kind of, all his friends pretty much are straight and he's living with his friends from home. And he's kind of squashed that part of himself to be um, applicable to them and to his image of being straight, gay in a straight world. And so he's, you know, he's not really taking care of his sexual health. Perhaps his boyfriend is cheating on him, but he doesn't really want to believe that either until he's forced by uh, what the sexual health worker refers to as boggy balls. Uh, to go to the clinic, a place he's really avoiding, uh, and it forces him, it's like the catalyst moment that forces him to start looking at the reality of his life rather than how he would like it, in a very avoidant way, how he would like it to be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Is boggy balls a British slang phrase, or is this something, I've never heard boggy balls before. Is this something you came up with? (laughs) So... 
Okay, so some of the experiences in the book are drawn from life. <laughs> and unfortunately, yeah, get that. Go there. It's drawn from my own life. I had a boggy ball. Uh, this is not a general term. This was something that the nurse said to me and it really stuck in my head. I thought, wow, that is a way to describe what turned out to be a UTI. Um, yeah. But she Wait, was- So what does so... boggy mean? Oh, so boggy is like like um, like a bog, like a marsh. So it oh. it means, it's a, it is a strange word to describe a testicle in any, uh, in any shape or form. Um, but it just really stuck with me because it's like so quite grotesque, but also so quite it's kind hilarious. of like a ball full of bacteria. Is yeah, that or like it... a ball full of mud or something? Oh, you know, it's quite gross. But it is really uh, captivating as an image, the visceralness yeah. of that. Like you can even without knowing what boggy ball means, you just know that it is something <laughs> grotesque. Yeah, like you said. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad that your boggy ball has been healed, hopefully, Henry. Oh my gosh, um, that was uh, a long time ago. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, so another aspect of what I just am really, what I've loved, what I'm still pondering over in your novel is those straight dynamics with his, mm. Danny has these two roommates, they're a couple, like they're just, they're about to get married. Um, and... It reminds me of Bridesmaids. I don't know if you've seen Bridesmaids, right? But yeah, there's like ago. the Kristen yeah. Wiig character living with um, the Rebel Wilson. Um, uh, she's playing uh, this roommate pairing who kicks Kristen Wiig out of the house. And it like gave me those flashbacks. But I thought in this um, gay male context, it was really interesting how much you're commenting on... Um, I think it's there's a line where Danny questions if he was just an accessory to these yeah. his straight friends. So yeah, like is this also coming from your own experience or just like how you've seen straight and gay friendships and those dynamics at play? That's kind of come from a whole, I suppose, series of things, which uh I don't know. I suppose I've experienced it in some ways uh when I was a lot younger. Um, certainly not in the ways that Danny experiences it exactly, but I feel like it's quite a common, I feel like maybe not so much now, but especially mm -hmm. not with like the Gen Zers. I feel like they're much, they're much more aware. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I'm, I'm 35. So I remember being a teenager and people saying like, oh, you don't seem gay. And I was like, oh yes. Like <laughs> oh yeah. Like, no, that meant you're right. That's, Let's unpack that if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, you've, yeah. Entered, you've entered Andrew's uh, psychoanalytic yeah. <laughs> office, but you know I'm a millennial. I just turned thirty, and I came out when I was fifteen, so it's been half of my life. And I remember in high yeah. school, I look back and like this, and this was probably okay, my own insecurity after having just come out. But are they going to know I'm gay? Does my voice reveal mm. something like, right? I feel that. Yes, in, the voice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I feel that like the 2000 to 2000, like tens were full of such um, these markers of like, where are you going to be found out? And then now I'm just like, I feel so excited about who I am and my identity. Like, oh, great. If they think I'm gay, maybe 
there'll be someone they can set me up with. I don't know. Like I do. And I think a lot of that, you're right, is this Gen Z openness, especially with TikTok. And like, this is where social media, I think, has really amplified LGBTQ voices. Or even, I don't know if you've been seeing all, this is going to go into a rabbit hole, but just because I'm really into gym culture, like just these like straight men who are showing off their asses and like there's all these TikTok videos of them like wearing these revealing clothes and I'm thinking, wow, this is definitely not my experience when I was in high school. No, right, exactly. But I know in the UK there's was more, there's kind of more of, I guess, what we, we would call like hetero flexibility with men or studies had shown that, but I think now America's, and I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I mean, I guess you could weigh in from your perspective. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) um, Gosh, I mean, I I don't know really. I mean, certainly when I was younger, it was fine. It was much more acceptable for women to be kind of like socially bisexual because it was mostly for the lens of the guys but not so much for guys to experiment um and I definitely think that stigma has dropped down a little bit I think there is still there's still a lot of stigma and there's still a lot of pressure on you know men to be men but in a kind of different way you know like talking about like the gym culture like there's so much there's I don't know if it's an equivalent pressure to the way that women feel about their bodies, but I feel like there is an increasing pressure on men to look perfect in a certain way as well, which mm-hmm. I feel like wasn't the same as when I was younger. It was definitely no. like more pressured towards women. Yeah, um, and I feel like fashion for men, definitely, I know when I came out, like certain fashion markers, again, there was like almost this, microscopic detective Sherlock Holmes trying to figure out in the millennial culture who's gay and who's not like this binary system yeah Yeah. I was so as a teenager especially I was so paranoid over like my purchases and you know like oh god I've got to make sure like you know is this jacket I'm wearing is that a bit too gay like are people gonna know and but also it's funny because I was I wasn't like uh, Danny my main character as a teenager who was very very shy like I was as far as anyone knew, the only gay person in the entire <laughs> vicinity. And I was very like, um, I was, it's on the outside, I'm sure I appeared very, very confident and uh, like knew who I was, but it was in some ways it was kind of a mask for that insecurity inside where I was like deeply paranoid and would worry, like lie in bed at night and worry about like, had I said something that was like a bit too gay or like, mm. You know, and even now when I like hear recordings of my voice, I'm still quite judgmental on it. Where like, which I really wish I could, I wish I was more evolved, but that still like lingers there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because with Danny, right? He is late 20s. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um. So, um, and I feel like I'm, already good friend like I've known you for a while Henry I'm like <laughs> how much am I going to personally reveal about myself I don't know we'll see <laughs> well I've really <laughs> revealed a lot about myself in that book so you go for it <laughs> well again though there's a lot of juicy steamy details and sexual mm. details in first time for everything but we'll have to see like how much of that's based on Henry's life and how much of it isn't but 
before we get into that, I love, I think it's important that, you know, you open up about right now your experience coming out. And so you were out in high school, it sounds like. Yeah. So I came out when I was maybe about 12 or 13 to all of my friends. Oh. Um, but it was, it's kind of funny because I, I was, went to a private Catholic girls school where there was, it was the first year it went co-ed. So there was six boys and 300 girls and I got a wow. scholarship into this school. <laughs> yeah. That's a very um, unique perspective. Yeah. So I think in some ways I was quite fortunate in that I wasn't, I was still bullied and I was, cause I grew up in a very small town as well. It was, it was very conservative and very homophobic, but I... I feel like I probably had a better experience at school than some people. And I think that probably allowed me to come out earlier than I would have done. Cause I mean, it's so usual for people to come out of university, isn't it? When they like move away from home and mm -hmm. they feel like they can be, they're, they're safer to be themselves. Yeah, yeah. And their town um, isn't speculating about things, right? Especially yeah. And they're not with the people town. they've known their whole life. Yeah, they're not with their family. Yeah. Um, yeah like, how many people are in your community, in your town that you grew up in? So I grew up in a tiny, tiny village where there was less than a thousand people. And my wow. family had lived there for 300 years. Wow. And we'd oh, run wow. the butcher shop in the village for a hundred years. And I, as a oh. gay vegetarian teenager, worked in the butcher shop. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> but this is a like long a long Gen uh, generational family business. Yeah, I think it was maybe I was like the fifth generation to work there. Yeah. Oh wow! Of the Fry family. Of, of the Fry family, yes. Yeah, I mean, when I hear Fry, I do think, isn't there Charles Fry or who's the? Stephen isn't there Fry. a writer or Stephen Fry, not Charles? Yeah. I don't know about <laughs> Charles Fry, but Stephen Fry. Okay. Yeah. Any any relation? No relation, but in school, oh. people loved to say that we were related. <laughs> oh. oh, my. But, um, wow, so less than a 1,000. Yeah, see, my town in New Jersey, I grew up with 50,000 mm. in the town. And then I was only 20 minutes from Philadelphia. So, like, a very different, more of that, like, if you lived on the outskirts of London. Oh, uh, right, yeah, Like, yeah, the yeah. suburban communities. Um, yes, okay. Yeah, so, like... I wasn't the only, and there was almost 800 in my high school class. So I was not the only out person. I mean, I would say there was more out, um, those who identify as women. There were more women who were identifying as bisexual or lesbian. Um, there were a few of us who were gay men, but I feel like it actually, in my case, it felt more of a competitive element if you were out that you kind of, you were being judged by the straight community about like who is going to be the accessory to the straight mm. girls. Like who is, who is the gay man who's yeah, going to be chosen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or they're like, well, so-and-so looks like this. Why don't you look like that? Like yeah, more like, of you guys going to yeah. go out when you like, have Oh, all the time. At all. <laughs> all the time. I mean, we did have a great, um, what they call here, gay and lesbian, um, uh what do they call it oh well like society thank you yes yes yeah, it'll, it, cool. the, um it'll come to me <laughs> but uh yes like the allyship but also lgbtq club community uh gay straight alliance there we go okay. um and i'm having some coffee it's the morning for everyone out there okay but uh 
<laughs> you know, my thoughts are still trying to come to me. Um, and what I love though is like we had a, a mixer with other high schools. So like I didn't know a lot of LGBTQ people. Um, I would say there wasn't a lot of like open transgender students, or at mm -hmm. least I wasn't as aware. I feel like that definitely has made progress with openness oh, yeah. in For high sure. schools. Um, but yeah, all of that is to say, I find in your novel, it's so authentic the way that you go back and forth with Danny and the straight friends and his workplace community, like that all of these dynamics exist. And it seems like you must have so much psychological knowledge of straight and gay relationships. Well, I've been to a lot of therapy, so. Oh. <laughs> And now, a message from the Gay and Lesbian Review. Hello, listeners. This is Stephen Hemrick, the publisher of the GNLR, here with a special offer just for you. For those of you who aren't familiar with the GNLR, let me provide a little background. The GLR is a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features such as artists' profiles and the popular art memo column. Each issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme and brings together the leading minds on the topic. You won't find a lot about the latest dating fads or fashion trends, though you might find articles about online dating as a social phenomenon or the gay influence on 20th century fashion. For example, the theme of the current issue is Queens and Kings, and it features an article by Andrew Holleran about Truman Capote's relationships with glamorous women, the women he called his swans. Now for the special offer. When you subscribe, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. That's seven issues instead of six. Visit GLReview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot O-R-G. Click subscribe and enter promo code ITBR for your free issue. And as an added bonus, you'll receive online access to all archive issues of the magazine. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Did you rely on like any, because I noticed, I think this is in every, every book, but I especially noticed when I opened your book, I just, for everyone out there, I think it's something that a publisher has to do, but you can correct this narrative, but it says, all the characters in this book are fictitious and any resemblance to actual persons living or dead is purely coincidental. And I found that yeah. that's for some reason, I know it's in almost every novel, but it stuck out to me. I'm like, wait, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a legal thing you have to have in every novel. I mean, which is kind of ridiculous because I do cite a lot of like celebrities and stuff in the novel who are clearly real. <laughs> But there we go. That's true. I mean, yeah. but I do love um, Henry starts off with 
this quote for everyone else who's late to the party let's make up for lost time yeah and you know can you expand upon that like what are you getting to there as this opener for your novel yeah so um I started writing this book when I was I think about 31 or 32 I think and I wrote it very quickly in the first draft in three weeks when I was between jobs so like super fast like very it was very like janky and unfinished but I had the rough story down and the kind of genesis really came from Something I felt like I experienced in my late 20s and I saw with lots of my queer friends as well, which was while we had come out earlier in life, we sort of had this almost second coming out later when we'd uh, we'd kind of, you'd gone through the period where you were pretending to be straight and hiding through who you were. Then you came out and you were like, I'm gay, I'm in gay culture. You know, I'm going to be like, yes, queen and be all like, you know, what does it mean to be gay? Who am I as a gay person now? But that in some ways you're almost like you you can adopt a bit of another persona. And then I felt like this sort of second coming out was when people really combined the two in into their most authentic version of themselves, where they sit comfortably between these divergent identities and within these different elements of their life. So between their family and their friends and their queer culture and straight culture. So... Yeah, I just really felt like that. I'd not really read about that before. And it felt like such a a noticeable trend within so many of the queer people I know. And and I know so many other people that have actually come out just for the first time in their late, well, in their early 30s now. And it's it's really wild, you know, like it's, I think you can really feel as a, like a queer person that you didn't, you maybe didn't get your teenage years the same way that straight people did. And maybe you have that in your twenties um, a lot of the time, especially if like me, you've come from a very, very small community. Yeah. Um, so I just really wanted to explore that. Um, yeah. And there's so much to unpack in, like, even though I felt very, I have to say, I felt very seen. I felt like I could embrace being gay in high school, but still there's, you know, um, when you're living, trying to live your authentic truth, uh, there's gonna be some who try to bring you down, especially at that young age when you're more susceptible to the external influence of how are they judging me or even peer yeah. pressure that just exists already in high school. Yeah, cause and, you're always trying yeah. to fit in, aren't you, in high school, like in whatever way that is kind of applicable for you in whatever way is safe, in whichever way is like deemed socially acceptable. So you can't, I mean, straight, this this is something I wanted to do with the straight characters as well. So like Danny's housemate at the start of the novel, Laura, she's in this kind of relationship with her, her kind of childhood sweetheart who really doesn't seem very bothered about her or the fact that they're gonna have a baby. Um, and I just, I, I wanted to explore how she was almost playing this role of mm-hmm. like what she thought of as like a contemporary femininity, a still quite a conservative femininity in the same way that Danny has been like playing a role as like a kind of acceptable gay guy. So they're both, because they've known each other since they were 15 or whatever, younger. Yeah. They've like remained in that dynamic while at the same time, Jacob, his best friend, who they've been friends since they were five. They've grown up in this small seaside town together. 
Jacob is like the absolute antithesis of that, where Jacob is like, a, you know, 150% themselves, like yeah. unashamedly queer, like mixed race, non-binary, completely amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. and I, I wanted there to be that juxtaposition where Jacob makes Danny feel uncomfortable, but Danny is also jealous of, of the freedom that he sees Jacob has. But he also makes like Laura and Luke feel uncomfortable because they're clinging on to this this perhaps outdated idea of heteronormativity uh, and Jacob's Jacob's like like flamboyant like prideful queerness is so opposed to that. <laughs> yeah, well, and Jacob's presentation is like you said they're non-binary, but they're so openly embracing being flamboyant. Like again, yeah. this is another um, element of your novel that I love so well, which is, it really is all about that unpacking of, you know, which, like, what is my truth as a person and what has what has society tried to mold me into exactly, to tone yeah. down my identity, my voice, my uh, suppress aspects of yourself. So I think that kind of leads into, I wanted Henry, if you would do the pleasure of reading the tweet he henry actually tweets not tweets but he uses a tweet um as an epigraph which i thought was so ingenious i'm like yes twitter is now getting its due here yeah um, <laughs> but um <clears throat> it's from right alexander leone who who is alexander henry so he's a um british writer campaigner lgbt rights anti-racism and mental health kind of activist and i he wrote this tweet in, I think, maybe early 2020, which was, I'd written the book and I was going through iterations of it. And I just saw this tweet like popping off on Twitter. And I just thought, oh my God, that's like exactly what the the heart of the book is about. So I, when I had got my publishing deal, I messaged him and said, I, I loved your tweet so much. It was so inspirational to me. I'd love to use it at the start of my book. And he very kindly said that I could use it. Um, um, so the tweet is this. Mm -hmm. Queer people don't grow up as ourselves. We grow up playing a version of ourselves that sacrifices authenticity to minimize humiliation and prejudice. The massive task of our adult lives is to unpick which parts of ourselves are truly us and which parts we've created to protect us. Which is just like so wise. <laughs> really and it's also is. like every character I would say in the book is doing some version of that. Yeah. And they don't have to be queer to be. I mean, I would no. say this is just the art of representation of your identity, which is right. Even... Who's Lara's? I'm sorry, I'm having a blank. But Lara's uh, boyfriend, yeah, uh, Luke. boyfriend, fiance. Yeah, yeah, Luke. He's this kind of like rugby bro, slightly yeah. always watching. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever seen him in the novel away from the TV. Which no, he's own, pretty much only watching rugby the whole time. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait, does he have a job that requires him to be somewhere? But I. Oh yeah, he works as a. He's a um. He's a realtor. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Um, my realtor friend out there, Danielle. I don't I know she's not watching TV all the time, Danielle, but <laughs> maybe Danielle, you can take uh Luke under your wing. No, no, yeah. that's too much baggage. But um 
Yeah. So what I love, though, about Alexander's quote and why I think it's so important that you start with it is what we've been discussing, but just the way he describes that, you know, for queer people, this massive task is unpicking the parts of ourselves that are us and which Mm. we've created to protect us is also right away that a a defense mechanism or a shield, like how Danny is Danny gets very uncomfortable with how people are responding to Jacob's openness about the, yeah. Jacob's identity. And like for Danny, Danny's more concerned about Jacob being quote unquote flamboyant than Jacob yeah. is, or at least Jacob's not showing it, Danny says. But still, I think it is fascinating because there's friends of mine where they're worried about showing all the aspects of themselves. Like I will say mostly my queer friends, but like even who still remember being mocked for their voice. Like it's still in their psyche. Like they, it it takes a lot of time to work through that for- It takes a lot of time. And I feel like the story, the kind of queer stories I grew up with were either like the character, you know, they get like beaten up or they, you know, they get kicked out of their home or they get HIV and they die or they come out and like, everything is great. Almost like in- straight stories where the couple get married and then it's the end and we assume the rest of their life is amazing forever. I was just like, that's not what happens. There's so much baggage that you have beyond that, that you need to unpick. And that's sort of what I mean when I talk about the second coming out and about all of the characters, like having these defensive personalities Mm. one way or another or personality traits. So like, Tobbs, who's Danny's boyfriend at the start of the novel, um, he's very, he would define himself, I say, by uh, by the things that he doesn't like. So he's like, oh, that's so heteronormative. But he'd also be like, oh, that's so gay. Like, <laughs> so he's he's very like dismissive he's against, of things. Against yeah, he's things. very against. And I yeah, would say yeah. he's probably the most tragic character Mm -hmm. in the novel because he's so kind of eaten up inside still by all of these things and he really projects it onto Danny which makes Danny very anxious Danny's very anxious for love and affirmation um, and thinks he can't get it anywhere else despite the fact that this is very he's very clearly not going to get it from this guy who he's been with for a year Um, and and Tobbs really doesn't like uh, Danny's relationship with Jacob his best friend because, I mean, for the same reasons that Danny at points feels uncomfortable with Jacob, you know, they're very, very queer. And also they've got a very close, genuine friendship and that threatens Tobbs as well. So they're all the like these queer characters, like working out where they are in their journey for self-acceptance. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I don't want to go down on the... <laughs> Go down, have you have to say anything you don't want to say, but because I feel like everything you're describing reminds me of, I wish I remember the name of the movie, but there is this movie where they were putting on a Midsummer Night's Dream in a British prep school. It was all boys. I clearly, uh, if anyone remembers the movie, I'm sure I could find it quickly, but um, it's, It'll come to me like as we're talking. Um, But the reason I bring it up is because it was like this musical retelling of gay love. And I found it so authentically 
like Danny in a way reminded me of the character in that mm. film because he's trying to really find his pathway and he knows his voice, but he's also right. He's a great Danny's a great protagonist, Henry. Like you created such an ideal for protagonist because he's the one who's involved in so many circles and yeah. so many um has so many obstacles because he's in different worlds. And um, right, that's a character you really want to follow, especially with his point of view from first person. But um, I'm just thinking England has so many, or I remember so many queer uh, films, and especially you had Queer as Folk originally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you had um, Billy Elliot, which, right kind of really shows a lot of the sides of homophobia, but there's also yeah, Billy's best friend. Yeah. 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 And Billy is so open with his best friend. Like Billy kind of just wants to dance. Like that becomes his heartbeat. But um, I guess all of that is getting me to say about the new movie bros, <laughs> which <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't seen yet, but I um have seen fire Island. Um, but have you had a chance to see Bros? Just because I'm curious if you think it reflects your novel's tone or is very, um, takes a completely different detour. That's very interesting because I actually, my boyfriend is a showbiz journalist and we went to see, oh. we went to see a screening of Bros last week um, ahead of its like UK release. And then we watched Fire Island afterwards. <laughs> very, so it's very different. The yeah, very different. Oh. And it's very interesting. We're definitely in this next era of like queer storytelling for sure. It's very different now. Like we're starting to like pick at the nuances a lot more. Mm. Um, it's not just like we exist and we are human beings that feel just like the rest of you. It's it's is it's very interesting. Like looking at the two films, I feel like they are made for different audiences. Like I feel like Bros is almost more made for a straight audience that's trying to explain elements of being mostly a queer male and I feel like a queer white male and then and Fire Island is much more feels like a queer movie made for queer people like a lot more unapologetically so um so I don't know I felt I've it's I don't know how I felt about bros. We had a lot of discussions about it. I felt like good good and bad about it. I felt like there was in some ways a bit of a lack of self-awareness because the the character played by Billy Eichner, who has written it and stars in it, is so similar to his persona that we already know. I felt like that maybe precluded um, the chance to go deeper into vulnerability with the character a bit. Um, it felt at some points to me a little bit, it was very much fixated on like body image and like being bro, bro-y. Um, but for me, there's, that's like the top level of what's underneath. So what what are those insecurities? Like, like we don't really go into his relationship with his parents who are both deceased or like his, I don't know, his like, key experiences like growing up or anything like none of that is really touched on and I thought that was a bit strange when 
you're almost missing out a bit of the story. I mean, it's a rom-com. The point is that it's like the first yeah. gay rom-com like made by a big studio. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's there, but I, and I think it tells maybe one element of a bit of a story, but I felt like there could, it could have been a bit richer and he could have maybe included more of the other LGBT characters a bit more because it was very focused on a bit on this one experience. Um, but generally, I think it's amazing that something like that exists. I kind of can't believe that we we live in an age where there are these things like that now. So <laughs> Yeah, well, and right. And like you said, it's the first really mainstream. It's the first mainstream rom-com produced by... Um, a Hollywood studio yeah. in that way. But that's where I look to streaming services where we have so much now LGBTQ Oh my gosh, amazing. You know, yeah. like where, yes, that's, I mean, my whole feeling is it's wonderful that happened with Bros, but at the same time, it's not like that's the only representation out there. There's so much. Like, but so again, I think, that, yeah. yeah, but I do have to say, even though I haven't seen it, so I'm not going to comment, I don't know the narrative that well. I will say, like, even from all the marketing, because I was following Billy on, I follow him on TikTok. Yeah. Um, I have to say that, like, publicity was really intense. Like, all the interviews. Like, there was so much interviews happening. And I can understand. They're kind of caught in two worlds because the director's Judd Apatow. And we all think Judd Apatow has like more of that raunchy straight comedy uh, <laughs> yeah more like bro but, humor actually yeah yeah, yeah right yeah. well because i think um there was didn't J judd apatow do oh what was one of the films i think like the hangover was that the hangover yeah the hangover train wreck with amy schumer yeah um yeah there was maybe knocked up i think that's judd apatow um yeah, year old virgin uh okay. that kind of thing yeah train wreck super bad anchorman ah, okay yeah it's so a very like, like distinct um genre of uh of, of yeah. comedy movie. this is the first one that's focused on any queer representation with judd apatow or at least in those films i don't really remember queer characters mm. um so i think it was kind of um there we're being torn. Like this is the first gay rom-com done by a Hollywood backed um, studio. But then at the other time, they're trying to appeal to straight audiences to come to the movie. And it's, I don't know. I think either way, um, there's going to be critiques, but I think yeah, what you said sure. is wonderful is at least this film exists. And yeah. my feeling too is with box office numbers right now, uh, people are just not really going to the movies in mass. I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes. Like, I don't know if that's really about bros. Cause I know, again, yeah, I told Billy you we wouldn't go down the people, Queer people aren't turning out to support the movie. And that's what but Billy like... said. And I don't really believe it actually. I, I think don't, I think to me, that sounds yeah. like he bitter that it, <laughs> that it hasn't uh, yeah, I was like, this is a hot take, Billy. I'm like, yeah. whoa. Do you have a queer fascination with classic films? Ever wish you'd be transported back to that golden age of cinema as if you're in the movies themselves? Hi, my name is Christian Garcia, and I am the host of that old gay classic cinema. Join my friends and I as we travel back in time to that classic age of film 
and peel back the layers of how these films transformed our view behind the camera and into the lens of cinema. Make sure to follow my Instagram at that old gay classic cinema, and I'll be sure to save you a seat at our next showing. See you there. I mean, because I saw Don't Worry Darling, and there was like maybe 15 of us, like yeah. if that. I just think if it's not a big superhero movie and people are not thinking, oh, I need to see it in the theater, which I think is a wrong <laughs> impression because movies are so enjoyable in the cinema with the screen and the experience. But again, I think we've become so used to streaming that. Yeah, I mean, in the pandemic's happened and yeah. we've got so used to watching stuff on Netflix and movies are also so quickly then on streamers anyway, once they have a theater That's release. That's true as well so you could wait a couple of weeks and probably watch it at home <laughs> that's true like well the streamers yeah. i mean there's been so many amazing lgbt things on streaming like i don't know have you seen heartstopper no oh Heartstopper. gosh what streaming service is this on it's on netflix it's like a it came out maybe a couple of months ago it's this just absolutely the cutest thing ever this like british um it's based on a series of graphic novels by alice Ozerman. Um, called Heartstopper and it's basically about these two boys I think they're like 15 year old boys in high school that fall in love and then oh, they're wow. other kind of LGBT friends and it is honestly just the cutest thing I've ever seen and it's it's kind of not very dramatic the stakes are quite low it's kind of just about them finding out who they are and falling in love mm -hmm. and it's just so adorable and i I'm so happy that we live in this age where there are these very like charming, sweet, everyday stories as well. Yeah. Um, but as well as other things, like, I don't know, did you see It's, it's a Sin? No, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen Uncoupled, which yeah. I know Uncoupled oh, yeah. is, is a comedy. Either, yeah. Um, yeah. But I did see all of Pose. I think Pose was probably oh, yeah. one of the best shows that's been done recently. Um, I've seen Euphoria. Yeah. Um, that's a trip. Um, That's a, that is a trip. <laughs> Literally. It is. Yeah, I thought it, though, really well executed as a series. Um, But no, so, okay, you have so many now I have to add to my list. But, like, was your, you know, because first time for everything, I don't want it to seem like, you know, this is a pastiche novel because everyone out there, this isn't pastiche. Like, it's not like Henry's taking narratives and throwing them in yeah. the novel. <laughs> but you create such a unique perspective that I could see play in a TV show or, you know, I could see like this is almost to me a more um, adult oriented Love, Simon, like because I remember yeah, when Love, yeah, Simon, yeah. right, came, I think it was from a book or it was adapted. From yeah, it was book. Uh, a book called um, Simon versus the Homo sapien Agenda. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel like all of the elements like because I don't want to give away all the domino, like all the cards falling in the novel, because this is why everyone has to pick up your novel. They need to listen or, you know, pick it up. And also, do you remember who your narrator, who your uh, performer is in your audiobook? Uh, we have two different ones. In the American version, it's Will Watt, who does a really great job. And in the UK, it's George uh, Hayworth. He's really good as well. They both did okay. such a good job. And they um, both have... British accents, right? Yeah, they're both British. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, well, and 
if we can, can we get into the Devil Wears Prada a la Devil Wears Prada type scene that happens in Danny's workplace? I don't know why I kept thinking of Devil Wears Prada with this like cafeteria scene that you paint so well. <laughs> when, but, when his friend Jacob comes yes. to, to visit and he's yeah. absolutely mortified. Yeah. And it's like, I think just because Jacob doesn't, uh, is so at odds with this hipster business yeah. that's like a startup business and the boss is wearing a bedazzled hat, but he's like <laughs> a straight bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, he like, the boss uses slurs with Danny, but thinks it's affectionate. It's just, there's a lot happening with yeah. that boss. Um, but at the same time, keeps everyone... Like all the men want Danny to comment on their asses. They're like, "Do I my yeah. pants look good in this?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it is interesting, like those dynamics. I think you, it's, and that's where with a lot of TV or film, I feel that there's not always there's not that interplay between um, gay men, you know, um queer women, um, non-binary people, transgender people with the straight community. Like, mm. I feel like there's not always those intersections. And that's why with bros, I'm curious to see what happens with straight yeah. people. Like, is there a lot of straight people in bros? Well, all or... the cast members are actually queer, I think. Yeah. But I don't, uh, oh, are there, is there much interplay with straight people? Kind of, it's mostly, it's mostly queer people. And yeah, I mean, in 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 my novel, it's I wanted to show a wide array of queer people, just because my experience as well living in in London, there's you know every kind of person you could imagine, and and the queer scene is very, uh, very very mixed, but very also very uh, separate. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, can you explain another. like because he's working in East End London, right? Which I've always no, he's working oh. in Oxford Circus, uh, which oh, is right okay. in the middle. Uh, okay. But he he starts off living in uh, Brixton, which is southeast London, okay. uh, which used to be um, it was a very like Afro Caribbean Jamaican area um, from the seventies onwards, and then in the last ten years or so, it's been gentrified um, and has become a lot more a lot whiter. Um, and this is the sort of place I imagined that his his housemates Luke and Laura would now live somewhere well, where they it reminded never me ten years earlier. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was exactly the way it plays out in like queer scenes in Brooklyn. Like I felt like I was like yeah, with yeah. Brooklyn hipsters. Like it has, and I think London, yeah, that makes sense. Southeast, or even I have friends who are like really into the artsy scene of East. The is it the yeah. East End? Um, but see, like with London, I really only know the gay or queer scene in Soho and yeah. like Bloomsbury or like more of which I think is a different, like that's the more, I guess, intellectual. I don't know. I don't want to make generalizations, yeah. but you know, it's, they're, they're not hipsters. I'll put it that way. Um, in like, there aren't many hipsters I found in Soho or. Uh, no, it's, I would say like the kind of queer scene in London is you have, Soho is like the traditional center of it, which is now much more, uh, much more media people and there are like queer spaces but it's it's not it's probably more of an older crowd I would say now it's not um it's not what it used to be like maybe in like the 70s 80s 90s you have like 
the Clapham queer scene, which is maybe like the West Hollywood equivalent. Mm. So uh, kind of Carly Rae Jepsen, uh, <laughs> uh, muscle bro vibes. This is, I'm being very, I'm being very judgmental and sweeping statements. And then you have like the East, yeah, the East London scene, which is a lot more like gender bending, uh, like green mohawk, uh, nose piercing, uh, Bushwick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. We're like Greenwich where Village. Danny moves into that as someone who is very, very square and moves into this like very yeah. wild uh, queer performance art scene. Yeah, like I feel like he's not at home. He's definitely, um, it seems like he's a little more preppy. And yeah, he he is. He's prep. He's, he's, he's from a kind of working class background, rural background. So he's. <laughs> but he's also he is quite conservative and he's quite preppy at the same time so he sits at odds basically with every element of his life like there's nowhere he really fully belongs like he doesn't feel like he 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 sort of belongs with his like media hipster work colleagues he doesn't belong with his like posh friends that live in Brixton he doesn't belong with these like crazy queers in East London but he learns about himself and them by being with them and at points becomes very dislikable as he basically discovers like queer activism and goes a bit too far with it <laughs> yeah yeah well and that's something everyone can look forward to is just how danny's journey with activism Jan danny's journey with just questioning um how much he wants to get involved in LGBTQ culture. Like, yeah. you're right. Like, you can be, we've seen it. You can be an openly, especially with uh, white gay men. Like, you can be a white gay man, but that that does not mean you're involved in politics and activism for LGBTQ culture. Like, no, you can kind of scoot by still as a white man. Yeah, and I would say for a while, <laughs> that was our narratives in TV film was like, you know, how much I love queer as folk. Like, I mean, I know the American version, but I love it so much. But again, it it wasn't what I would say is progressive TV. I would say it's more like here are white gay men, they're having sex and they're now um, showing their lives and narratives, which I think is wonderful for what it did in that time because- Yeah, I mean, it was progressive at the time. Yeah. Uh, but now, of course, we look at it and thankfully culture has moved on <laughs> and opened yeah. up. Um, yeah. And we're seeing lots of different stories that we didn't see in popular culture 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as we wrap up, which this like flew by, Henry, um, <laughs> I want to share with you an anecdote just because I feel like it helps. Um, hopefully sells more of your novels. No, because <laughs> I'm going to be so scandalous. Well, but, that is that's great. I yeah, love that. <laughs> yeah. But like, even because I'm so into my gym culture, I find it is enjoyable for me. And maybe this is my own, something I'll have to dissect with a therapist. But uh, like when straight men are talking about like how they're going to hit on women or I don't know, whatever happens in their locker room conversations. There was one who was like making a really raunchy joke about um, like having a woman sit on his face, which we don't have to go too in depth with that. Uh, but I was like, well, that's, I was like, I'm glad you embrace your uh, desire and erotis, or I, I forget how I phrased it. Something like, I'm so glad you embrace your sexual desire. 
And I was like, well, hopefully you find a woman who enjoys that openness. And he's like, oh, see, that's why it's so good for you to be a gay man. If only God had made me a gay man, I could just enjoy these open erotic discussions. I was like, okay, like, that's some I, progress, I guess. <laughs> I feel like that's, I feel like I have come, like I always end up having conversations like that with straight guys. Cause I feel like they are like, I can have this kind of slightly, you know, I can talk about this stuff that I wouldn't talk about with a yeah. woman or maybe with my guy mates, because you're sort of this slightly in between area. And also maybe he perceives that like, I've had sex with 500 people. So he can be like, you gay guys, you're all at it. <laughs> you know, you've all, I can say anything to you because you've all, you've done it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I have to admit, I did play into his joke. And I think I, I need to be upfront with the audience here, which is I said, um, you know, if a man said that to me, I would be applauding. I'd be like, oh, great. <laughs> Or I think I said something like, oh, if a man sits on your face in the gay community, you know, that usually is acceptable behavior. I don't know. I, I'm pretty that's good at hello. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's just a yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just a hi. I mean, remember Joan Rivers had this great joke where she was like, any gay man who gets to um suck a cock should be excited to be called a cocksucker. And I was just like, but see. With Joan I mean, Rivers, yeah, yeah, I was like Joan Rivers. Okay, <laughs> she can get away with that. Um, but again, right? Not all, of course, not all queer people are, um, sexually, um, charged like that, right? But I think you show us a way in your novel that, uh, there can be a lot of nuance with straight men and queer men, and I think a lot of the times. Like, even with my encounters, I love those conversations that I have with men mm -hmm. because, like you're saying, there's almost this comfortability they have joking with you or opening up that they don't have in other spaces. And my feeling is, well, isn't that, that's good. Like, there is a way to, <laughs> there is a way to connect more of the communities. Oh my um, God, definitely. Yeah. I have wonderful, like, such, like, intimate, close friendships with so many of my straight male friends, which I just really cherish for that reason. Well, Henry, I guess I left us on a really erotic note. <laughs> uh, <laughs> everyone's like, how did we get from, uh, you know, first time for everything to sitting on a face and I mean, <laughs> Joan Rivers blowjob? Really? <laughs> I mean, well, I think it actually, everyone, I have to be fair. Henry's language is pretty erotic. Uh, pretty sexually open, and there is so much exciting um, dynamics you explore with the queer community. Everyone, please get your hands on First Time for Everything. If you are in Canada or the UK, you get this lovely phallic cover. And if you're in America, you get more of the disco psychedelic cover, which I think both are <laughs> equally queer and pulsating. Um, and also the audiobooks are wonderful. So yeah, however you want to consume Henry Fry's novel, you're going to be happy. Oh, and shout out to Celia Lasky, who's a friend of our show for um, the quote about hanging with one of your queer besties, because I definitely feel so comfortable just being within your novel, Henry. It is yeah. so cozy. It is so needed right now. And I hope there's something in the future with First Time for Everything. 
I hope yeah. I hope something happens in the you know film god world. Well, I you know, I can't say too much, but maybe there will be. <laughs> Ooh. Ah, uh, another tease. Okay. Yeah. Another teaser to leave us on. <laughs> Just like your cover teasing us. Okay. I see what's happening here, Henry. Well, thank you so much. This was so enjoyable and yeah, I opened up about things I didn't know I was going to talk about, but guess what? That means you're very good at introspective <laughs> discussion. So if I ever see a Joan Rivers joke land in one of your books, I'll know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> where it came from. I know where it came from now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Henry. And, you know, everyone out there, I hope, you know, you're laughing as much as we are here. Okay. Bye, Henry. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Andrew. Bye. Hi, Ivory Tower Boiler Room audience. It is Andrew Rimby, the director of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Welcome to our winter season. And are you trying to stay warm this season? Well, guess what? We have the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe. It is our Patreon where there is so much bonus content. So I'll go over all that. But first, it's only $5, which is less then a latte, a cappuccino, a coffee, a tea, basically anything now because, you know, we have some inflation going on. So join us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. What do you get? You get Gregory Maguire giving us all the scoop on the Wicked Movie musical. You get Jesse Green giving us his hot takes on the Broadway musical. If you don't know who Jesse is, well, you should, because he's the chief theater critic of the New York Times. You get all the JFK and Marilyn Monroe scoop from Elizabeth Winder, a Marilyn Monroe biographer. So much more. You get all our video interviews. You can see everything, including the bonus content. And Mary's going to tell you from True Crime and Academia what you get later. But if you're not following us on social media and seeing our video teasers, well, you need that to stay, you know, nice and energized on these winter days. So follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. While it's still here, why don't you follow us on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room? And here's my chief contributor, Mary. Hey, true crime friends and Ivory Tower Boiler Room friends. Like Andrew said, you're going to get access to all of this bonus content. That includes true crime and academia. So not only will you have access to the bonus episode each month, you will also have video access to the interviews that I conduct on my podcast once a month. You get all of that extra content at your fingertips whenever you feel like watching it, literally for a cup of coffee. So why don't you just buy us one? That'd be so nice. We would appreciate that because we love your support already, but we could use a little bit more if you don't Oh, mind. yes, we could. And also, hey, do you all know you can actually DM us questions at our social media channels? Yes. Also, why don't you ask us questions with our social media posts? We love it. We even shout out questions on our episodes. And if you want, you can always email us at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com to actually order our merchandise. So mm -hmm. we have hats, we have t-shirts, we have posters, we have everything. If you want any merchandise with the Ivory Tower Boiler Room logo, we're gonna make it happen for you. Okay, on that note, happy winter season, everyone. Happy winter.